Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening. A pleasure again to spend some time in worship with you uh, as we continue to work through the book of Genesis together. Uh, but with that, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your love, for your blessings, and for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your good and perfect word, for your consistent message. God, for the call that you put on our lives, God, that we should go out and love you and love our neighbors, to proclaim the gospel, Lord, to worship you and praise you in humble obedience, God, as we lean upon you for our rest. Be with us tonight, Lord, and we love you. Amen. So... Whenever I had to take on a new job, one of the things I had to learn was the responsibilities of the job. And as you go from workplace to workplace, you learn real quick that they all have different ways of doing things. In some jobs I've had, you had to kind of figure things out as you went along. In other jobs I had, they had three ring binders with every single policy, procedure, and bit of information you could ever know in hopes that you would, this would help deter you from making mistakes. But it's nice when you do have someone over you to put you in the right direction, to help make it clear to you what is your purpose, what is your responsibility. Now, as we're working through the book of Genesis, we're going to take some time and we're going to look at some of the responsibility, or should I say the primary responsibility of God's creation, that being us, humanity. So if you would please turn with me to Genesis 2, and we're going to be reading verses 4 through 25 uh, together. Uh, Anybody close to the back wall that could turn on the fans, because I don't have force abilities. Alright. Well, while they're working on turning on fans, please turn with me to Genesis 2, 4 through 25. Alright, we got, we got that one running. The other one's broken. Okay. Genesis 2, 4 through 25. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Hevilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Medellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We thank the Lord for the reading of his word. We're going to pause there for, the, for a moment. Chapter 2 of Genesis, there's a bit of a shift in the literature as what we see here is, is Genesis 2 summarizes and restates much of what's happened in the creation account of chapter 1. Not necessarily by restating what has been created in chapter 1, but by pointing out what was not included in the pre-fall creation. The point of this is to set up the main event of God's creation, that is, the creation of mankind. All of this is to set up how perfect God had made creation, how perfect it was for humanity for them to be placed. So a couple examples of what we see here in the text. The term day in this chapter does not refer to a day of creation. Rather, it's more of a vernacular. For instance, we, instead of a day meaning a day, it means some time ago. Or similar to how we might say, well, back in the day, we had to push rewind on VCRs. So, so in this way of, or, or the tracking button. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when we see the term day used here in this text, it's not referring to a day of creation, but it's more of a, a generalized term. And then we see plants mentioned in this text. We see terms like shrubs or bushes or small plants. But they seem to be distinct, though, from the general creation of plant life and seeded plants spoken about in chapter 1. And rather, they seem to be more like different types of plants, more like weeds or even thorny bushes that had not worked their way up to the surface just yet. The text said God had not sent rain there, and there was no man to work the ground. So this seems to be pointing out that this is happening on the sixth day because there was no man yet to work the ground. Also, we need to remember that working the ground pre-fall, working the ground before sin, caused trouble for his work compared to what working the ground looked like after the fall. It seems that thorns and weeds, yes, indeed, they did exist in creation, but they were not yet a problem at all because God kept them in their place 
And then after the fall, that is when we start to see that the ground would not bear fruit easily. And we would see these other type of plants begin to overrun. So if you're having trouble with weeds, you can blame Adam for that one also. But once Adam comes on the scene, he's able to work. But he works with very little competition against the weeds. And I think we would all agree that would be nice to be able to work a garden without, without a lot of weeds. The picture of Eden. Beautiful place. If you could possibly make a postcard of it, you would. Everything's lush, green, and beautiful. And usually when we talk about Eden, we, we talk about it as a perfect garden. I remember uh, just before we had Elijah, we had the chance to go to Hawaii. A wonderful gift that we were able to do. And I just remember just how lush everything was in Hawaii. And I thought to myself, I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if this is even slightly close to the Garden of Eden with the way just everything was just so green everywhere. But when we look at the Garden of Eden, we need to be careful not to just look at it as a beautiful piece of scenery. There was more to it than that. God created many beautiful things, the stars in the sky, the oceans, uh, so much of the world he had created with such great beauty. And yes, the Garden of Eden was beautiful, but there was something else about it. It was more than just a perfect garden, but it was the perfect place for man to be placed. God created the Garden of Eden to be the place for man to start out. And we seem to forget, though, also as we read through this text, we always talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we often forget to talk about there was another tree in the garden as well, the tree of life. We forget to talk about the tree of life. And what's interesting when we read about Jesus giving the command about not eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good of good and evil, they were not kept from eating from the fruit of the tree of life. Nowhere does that command exist. So in their time in the garden, it's actually quite possible that they might have even eaten from the tree of life. We don't know, but it seems entirely plausible because we see no command here that would say, do not eat from the tree of life. And I believe what God was doing here was he tried to make it as easy as possible to obey him. By having the tree of life near the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which brings death, they could have anything they wanted that bore fruit. Even this other special tree. Just not this other one, which brought certain doom. God was trying to make obedience as easy as as possible. But we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But we see here that God prepared an ideal place for the people to flourish. Now, most of tonight we're going to be talking about one verse. And the reason is, is because 
due to grammar, we miss out on, I know that's, a, I just put half of you to sleep by saying grammar, but because of grammar, we actually miss out on some really important meat here in the Genesis account, something which ties uh, Genesis to our very purpose that we've been given. If we look at verse 15 in this portion of the text, it's the only, what I would call, purpose statement in chapters 1 and 2, where the scripture takes time to explain what we are there for. And it even includes the answer to the question, why do I exist? What is my purpose? And I think we'd agree that's a pretty important question. But if you read your translation, it'll read along the lines of, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, if you look at that, and you say, okay, that's supposed to be a purpose statement for a lot of my life, is that saying, does God want us all to become gardeners? No, farmers. Farmers. Well, that's not fair when I live in this area, because they say amen. No. <laughs> But if we look at that, and, and I were to tell you God wants us all to be gardeners, you'd all turn and say, well, you're fired, if that's, if that's what I said. Because, but that's not what he has called us to do. No, actually, what I'm about to explain to you only comes from actually looking at the Hebrew language. And so you have to bear with this a little bit as I talk about the language. But my hope is, is that you'll see why this is a clear representation of what God is calling us to do and what he has called us to be. So I say you just bear with me for a moment as I go through this. So first, when the text says God put Adam in the garden, in the Hebrew, the structure of the sentence and how it is used could actually be rendered that Adam was placed at rest in the garden. It's actually in that small word, put the way the Hebrew renders it, that Adam was actually placed at rest in the garden. And the rest denoted here is actually, when we look at the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, the way this word is used here, is it actually correlates to the rest and the peace that we receive from God. That when we see these words in this form used in the same way in the rest of scripture, that is about the rest and the peace of God, which we are to experience when we live closely with God. This is the God that will give you rest. And we see this phrase used also, I'm just going to throw out a couple, a couple of verses out there. Deuteronomy 3.20, Deuteronomy 12.10, Deuteronomy 25.19, 2 Samuel 7.11. All these use the same word for rest to refer to the peace and rest from God. God gave Adam rest. God gave Adam rest. And this rest is not only a physical kind of rest. But it's in line with what we see also in Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 and 4. It's a physical rest. A, a, it's also a peace from 
warfare, but above all, it is an all-encompassing rest of faith. Isn't that amazing when we consider that? The spiritual rest of relying on God for our safety. The spiritual rest of relying on God for our salvation. I was talking with a brother just a few minutes ago about what it means to really have assurance of your salvation when we are able to trust and, yes, rest in the power of God for our salvation. That the worries of this world no longer tie us down like they did before. Yes, we're aware of them, but no longer do we need to fear them because we are the children of God. What this portion, this little bit of text is telling us is after God created all these things, all these things that he created good, he placed mankind in their rightful place in full relationship with God. They were put in Eden. They were placed in a place in the presence of God to grow close to him to receive his peace, to receive his rest as they walked alongside from him. Amazing just how one word, if we take the time to look at it more closely, we're able to find this truth. Now from this state of rest and this closeness with God, this The spiritual point of view on this portion of the text is then also applied to the context of what's following up with it. Again, we run into a case where we look at the language and it provides us with insight greater than what we honestly are able to get from our English translation. And in the second second half of verse 15, we have two words, avad and shamar. And they're translated... To, to say, cultivate and keep the garden. That is how our English translations put them. However, this is the only place where these words are translated this way. These words are used in many other places within Scripture, and this is the only place where it is translated in terms of, of cultivating and keeping a garden. But throughout the rest of the Hebrew text, the rest of the the Hebrew Bible, we see it used differently. In fact, if we look at these exact Hebrew words as they're used elsewhere here, they're used very differently. And, And this is how they were used, to keep and to cultivate. They're used to actually denote words of worshiping and serving and obeying God. It's so crazy. They're actually used about worshiping, serving, and obeying God. And some other places where we see this would be Numbers 3, 7, and 8. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, and Joshua 22, verse 5. And I'm going to read this for you, Joshua 22, verse 5. This is what it says. And remember, the Hebrew, it's the same. The words are the same. But this is how Joshua 22, 5, how it's rendered. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, 
to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands. You hear that? To walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands. In Genesis, it's to keep and to cultivate. But here in Joshua 22.5, it's obedience and keep his commands. To hold fast to him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So as this language tells us, Adam was placed in the rest. And he was placed in the garden where he rested in close fellowship with God, where he was to worship, serve, and obey his dear God. And that is consistent with what we see in Scripture and with the purpose which God has given us even today. If God has given mankind a purpose at the beginning of Genesis, well then that purpose remains even to this day. It is not to be gardeners. No, it is to be walking close with our God. To worship and serve and obey our Lord. This is why it makes perfect sense that right after we read this verse, right after we're told to rest and obey God, what is the very next verse? God's command of obedience. God gives a request or a command of what he's called them to do. And he says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Rest and walk closely with me. Yes, worship and obey. In your obedience, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and gave him his rest in the Garden of Eden to worship and serve the Lord. I've decided instead of moving on to the next passage, the creation of woman, I think that deserves... uh, some more individualized attention next week. Next week we'll talk about the creation of woman. And then we will talk about the fall of the week following. But I want to quite simply put it this way. The most important thing to take away from this passage is we are created. Not we were created. We are created because God's given us the same purpose then as he has now for the purpose of resting in God's presence, to grow close to Him and draw close to Him, and then to give Him all the worship and the praise and the obedience. Yes, and we do all of that while we live our lives and we work. But our priority is for the Lord. The purpose He gave Adam is the same purpose God has given us. To walk closely with God and to obey, honor, and worship Him. If this is our purpose, then we need to ask ourselves an important question. If this is our purpose, then what happens? If we do not live in that purpose which God has intended us for, what He has created us for, You know, we've uh, 
You know, there's a, there's a term in our culture called natural selection where they say only the strongest survive, but it's not so much the strongest survive, rather those that move out of their designed purpose die. Fish were made to swim in the water. Birds were made to fly in the air. What happens when they're suddenly reversed? When they're no longer in their intended environment or no longer living out their intended purpose? You try to put a, fly, a flying bird in the water and it tries to swim like a fish, it'll drown. Yes, some birds go in the water if you want to get technical, but nothing like a fish. If a bird tries to be a fish, it will drown. And if a fish flies in the water, yes, there are some fish that can glide on air for a little bit. They're called flying fish. Go figure. But if it tried to fly like a bird it would fall and crash. If humanity's purpose is to grow closer to the Lord and to serve and obey the Lord, what happens when we no longer are following the designed purpose God has given us? God meant to us for life and life eternal. And that being as we walked alongside Him, following Him, and obeying Him, and with Him. But the moment we turned our back on that purpose, and we tried to find our rest and our peace in ourselves rather than Him, rather than being creatures identified by our life in God, we're identified by the death we have brought on ourselves. That is what happens when we no longer live to the purpose God has given us. It is sin. It is death. And because we struggle with this death and this sin so much as we will see in the fall in a couple of weeks, our God still loved us even in spite of that. Even though we twisted and have continued to twist what He has made us to be, to honor Him in being His created people made in His image, He still sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. So that by Jesus' closeness with the Father and His obedience, and His worship and His honor becomes our own. That is why salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Through that faith in Him, in that reliance upon Him, is that purpose now achieved because we could not do it on our own. God created us for His glory. God created us to be close to Him. 
And yes, to honor Him and obey Him. Where have you struggled in living out God's given purpose? Where in your life have you looked at, Lord, I know, and said to yourself, Lord, I know this is not right, what I am doing. God, I know this is not what you have for me. Then give that to the Lord. Let him take it. Repent. Turn from the sin. And follow him. And rest in him knowing that he has you covered. And as you grow close to him, that he continues to hold you and keep you. And love him and honor him for all that he continues to do. We thank you, Lord, for your perfect plan. God, we thank you for your perfect design and your will. God, help our identity to not be about living only for ourselves and living for ourselves alone, but God, for living for you and your glory. God, we are your children. And we proclaim that our salvation is not by our own hands or our own work, but God, it is by your Son. Help us to realize, Lord, in our purpose that you gave us, that you want us to draw close to you, that you want us near you and relying on you. God, that even though this world quite frankly, stinks on so many levels, Lord, that we have peace with you and our eternity rests with you. God, I pray that our response, yes, Lord, will be worship, to praise you for your glory and your power and your character and all that you are and for all that you do. God, that we will honor you for your righteousness, for your perfect glory, and God, we pray, Lord, that in humility, God, we will obey your commands. Because God, you created us with this purpose in mind. Help us, Lord, to keep to it and to keep close to your Son. Lord, we know we struggle. But we praise you and thank you for your love and for your grace. Amen. God bless. Y'all have a good night.